Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. It is a big day. Uh, it's a big day for us, probably a big day for you. We are recording this podcast a little after 3 p.m. on Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. And that means that Joe Biden became president of the United States about three hours ago. And so there is a lot to talk about. Uh, it's hard to quite know where to start. You know, uh, I'll tell you, when, um, when Joe Biden... Uh, went up there to take the oath of office, my heart really started kind of pounding. Sort of a big moment. I, you know, and, and uh, these things don't, don't, don't usually uh, phase me. Uh, but, a, but a big moment on a lot of different fronts. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, my co-hosts and I. Uh, before we do, let me remind you that our podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. We are looking at another dark, frigid winter with a 99% chance of crushing depression and Zoom fatigue. This is like... Still sort of true. Like, well, the ad copy sort of like overlapping in a in a kind of an in, in a sort of an uncanny and not entirely comfortable way because you know a dark winter it was a sort of a, a, a central theme of of President Biden's uh, you know speech. I think that's the first time I've called him President Biden. Uh, in any case, uh, warm up the winter blues with Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit with thirty-six servings per bag. Our velvety smooth coffee concentrate is brewed strong for a caffeine kick. You can enjoy hot or iced. Just add water. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. So, uh, Kate and David, what are we what are we talking about? What are we talking about? <laughs> it is a big day, like you said, Josh. I mean, it feels like... Trump's inauguration four years ago was both a decade ago, but also just kind of happened. I mean, I remember that day so vividly, too. And it's ironic. We're having an evening press briefing by um, Jen Psaki, Biden's new press secretary. And I was just remembering four years ago, Sean Spicer's epic, uh, never been a larger inauguration crowd ever in the history of any event yeah, it, than Trump's crowd. And um it's going to be hard to top that, but well, I think also, it will probably be better all around. Such a, such a funny thing. It's it's um, to see to think of these things in retrospect, but it's so telling about Trump and everything that came afterwards that right off the bat, you're into this idiotic debate about the size of the crowd when kind of like, first of all, who cares? It really is not that important, A. And B, 
what is there to discuss? There's like no one there. I mean, and so, you know, you kind of just launched into these not just nonsensical things. And I certainly remember how at the time it seemed it, 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 it's like quaint as Trump scandals and, and Trump episodes go. But it seems so bizarre at the time. I remember everybody like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, we were there. We saw it. Like, what are you saying? And and a sort of a sign of everything to come that it was required of Spicer to go out there and say something that was palpably absurd and to say it as aggressively as possible. Uh, you know, it just showed us what was coming. Well, it's you know, funny four because years worth. I don't really have too clear of memories of the inauguration just because my big memory is the women's march because I was still in college for the inauguration and the march in D.C. So it was like, you know, that kind of sensory experience of having millions of people flood into D.C. and the kind of unique emotions of that day where it was so I mean people were so angry and so upset but the emotion was very kind of cathartic and there was a lot of feeling of solidarity um you know just it's just interesting to kind of juxtapose that especially with kind of the uh the protests or the insurrections that have happened in DC since Trump has been in office and just you know how different each of those things have has felt but it's just Remind weird to kind of look back on that now. I, I know it was, I know it was right then, but it wasn't the day of, right? It was the day after, or was it the day. weekend? I, it was the weekend after. I want to say, right, the Saturday after inauguration. Because well, mm. well, what day of the yeah, and what day of the week? Sure. What day of the week was it? Because I'm thinking Wednesday, but obviously the fact that it's Wednesday is just happenstance. It's it's right. the 20th, so I guess it. But I, th- there was that thing where you had, you had the inauguration, you had the women's march. And then you also had that whole thing with the immediate and, uh, you know, ethically poorly handled, but also legally sort of slapdash handled, you know, kind of not Muslim ban mm. that got all the stuff in the airport. So it really kind of came, you know, right out of the gate with. Oh, my um, gosh. That's so funny. I'd forgotten just, about that. And I re- the, like, I, lawyers rushing to the airports and yeah, stuff. Yeah, and, and, and people going there to sort of uh, not protest exactly, but, but uh, you know, kind of operate in solidarity with. Yeah. with, with uh, and, and again, as a sort of um, anticipation of everything that would come that entirely apart from what you think of the policy, they didn't even like do it in a legally, um, so many different parts of this. I don't mean legally proper as in, was it okay to do, but kind of like you don't put the right commas in. So, right. So, (laughs) so you're getting into all sorts of like legal problems and, 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 the, the, the sort of the ground level people who were charged with enforcing these policies don't know what to do. And, and I, I remember having a conversation with David Kurtz, our, our um, executive editor, in those first few days and him saying that he thought that um, the he thought it would take a bit of time for the younger members of our staff. And this was just kind of younger people in general, not kind of our staff specifically to sort of get like 
this isn't going to like somehow have a kind of a, uh, you know, West Wing ending where it kind of spins out of control and and somehow Trump's out of office in three weeks. Like this is going to go on for a long, long time. And yet it did kind of have that early sense of those things we just described. And remember, right out of the gate, the Russia scandal was heating up. And like two weeks in, the guy's national security advisor is, is, is fired, which again, we're so used to the, (laughs) we're so used to Trump. They're kind of like, Oh yeah. You know, I remember when his ninth national security advisor was fired. (laughs) Right. You know, but, but that was a, there was this sense of, wow, is this actually gonna, can this keep up? Like, can the, you know, this is too much. It did seem like too much. And it just kept up for the next four years until today, basically, I guess. So, Kate, let's talk about the actual inauguration today. You know, despite the COVID restrictions, the lack of pretty much any audience or inaugural crowd whatsoever, the fact that there's like 20,000 National Guard members uh, patrolling the streets, on TV at least, it kind of had a sort of feeling of normalcy kind of right lady gaga killed it jennifer lopez sounded great um you know president obama and kamala harris were fist bumping it kind of had these you know a few hallmarks of i don't know just sort of like a joyous occasion and kind of like a traditional impeachment what was your you know just impression your reaction inauguration not impeachment it's hard to keep them it's hard to keep them it's (laughs) hard to keep them separate at this point insurrection and all that exactly Taylor green would love that right the inauguration i'm sorry what was um what was kind of your overall takeaway your overall feeling uh from watching it unfold yeah i mean if i if i didn't live in dc i think i would have not thought too much of the differences this year, but you know, I don't know. I'd say I feel a little bit robbed that I didn't get to see a DC kind of draped in the the regalia of an impeachment because right now, I mean, this week I haven't even been able to go on my post-work runs because there's a National Guard checkpoint in the middle of it. So it's, you know, uh, I was reading through kind of uh, notes that were being sent over by reporters who were at the inauguration. And one of them, a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter, ran into the Pennsylvania governor and asked him how he was feeling today. And he said he was sad. And the reporter asked why. And he said, look at it. It's a military camp. And then his voice kind of broke and he walked away. And I think the sense of joy that you described, E.T., has kind of been the overriding emotion, uh, you know, the relief of people who are who witnessed the insurrection and have been pretty much, you know, on, on tenterhooks about what the next, the last two weeks were going to hold. Um, but, you know, when you're in DC, you can't so easily forget the fact that there are, you know, military vehicles on basically every block as soon as you get downtown, that there are men with guns absolutely everywhere. And it has had a dampening effect. You know, my whole street is boarded up in plywood. Uh, The most kind of celebration I've seen is I went out on a walk um, before this and people were kind of wearing their Biden t-shirts or their hats and you know some people had flags and stuff but I was here for Obama's uh, 2012 inauguration you know when I was in high school and it's a mob scene it's crazy there are people selling like Obama mints and Obama tissues and commemorative 
so so and so's and there are just so many people and I had a you know quote unquote ticket which like let me be on the mall and watch a jumbotron but you know it's just it's quiet and it's not even it's also kind of in stark relief to that Saturday when the networks called the election for Biden once and for all and there was just a kind of an explosion of joy here and a spontaneous uh you know streaming to parks and the mall and everything to celebrate together but that just hasn't been able to happen right now because there are you know <laughs> there's a it's a hard target right now so there are there's just law enforcement personnel everywhere which I think on the one hand I haven't been too worried about seeing any kind of uh, more violence break out of the inauguration because they would have to have come prepared to fight federal troops this time. Like it, there'd be no waltzing into the Capitol again. But the side effect of that is there's no room for spontaneous joy here because everything's locked down. It, it's funny because I'm, I'm curious because t I, I certainly I knew this stuff was going on th there. We would have, if it were a normal inaugural, you would have had the panning of the crowds and the kind of, you know, people lined up down to the Lincoln Memorial, all that kind of stuff. But I'm curious what the perception of it was for most people, because in general, when I watched it, kind of like it was relatively easy to see it as a regular inaugural, right? They're all kind of everybody sitting up there and where you'd expect them to be sitting. And they're, you know, they're, they're uh, on the, you know, uh, in front of the Capitol building and uh, got some singers, got this, got, so it actually, I think the TV experience, I mean, again, there's things that just weren't there, Right. That, that would have told us what was going on. But, um, yeah, on TV, it kind of it didn't feel that different. I'm also curious the it's got to be, a, you know, a mixed thing. On the one hand, I, I would imagine at some level there's reassurance seeing seeing everything so locked down, given what happened. I mean, we're, I think we're we're all used to. um We talk a lot about, you know, security theater, right? And the uh, importance of security in this and, and you know, kind of th there are all these things like I think the Super Bowl is, is now considered like a national security event, right? That th there's all this kind of stuff. But like we do these things all the time. Nothing happens, right? And, and obviously that means that doesn't mean it's not necessary. We know all that kind of stuff. And yet you see a case like here, like, wow, they weren't prepared and they like fucking storm the Capitol building and like people were killed. And, and as time goes on, we hear more and more of these stories. Like I heard one last night that, uh, I guess Pence and his, and at least his wife were, you know, locked down in some office with their protective detail in the Capitol while all that was happening. And they're listening to people chant, you know, hang Mike Pence. Like, man, that, that, that's pretty intense. That is pretty intense. We don't, you know, in general, a president or vice president's security detail is, again, there in practice mostly just to kind of make it clear, stay back, don't run up for a, you know, don't get in his face, don't run up for an autograph, and uh, they're there if something happens, but things don't tend to happen. And like, wow. This really got out of hand. Um, so I certainly see it from both standpoints. It is, it is 
it is very sad what the, the, the where President Trump left this country. You know, just just you know, and 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 uh, you know, uh, I certainly remember the kind of the years right after right after nine eleven. But this is like from our own people, from our own people, and um, again, sort of it's it's a it's 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 a mixed kind of thing because I, I see that stuff and. It's both depressing, but there's a part of me that says kind of like, yes, it is time. It it is also good that the power of the United States government, of the federal government, stands up for itself. You know, for years we've been we've been, you know, we've done all this coverage of like, you know, these these Bundy standoffs and all this, you know, the kind of that stuff in Michigan. I mean, let alone when they try to like kidnap the governor and like execute the governor of Michigan. But like, what was that a month before? Where basically the same guys, I'm sure in some case literally the same guys, right, just basically took over the capital, say capital in Michigan, and kind of like they didn't, I guess they didn't, you know, they didn't actually like physically attack anybody, but like they basically took the place over with their long guns and stuff. And um, the government is of the people, and, and the government does need to be able to assert and defend itself against this kind of crap because we've seen just just for years this sort of stuff is like indulged as a sort of like you know kind of like 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 right-wing performance art or something and uh you know it's it's a it is a it's a tough thing because i think we all know that at least a layer of the political views of those people is not alien to police forces, to the military. But at least what we have, um, at least what we have seen over recent weeks, both at the ground level and at the highest levels of the military, is a sturdiness of the military's commitment to the Constitution. President's president, we will follow the lawful orders of the president, whoever the president is at a given point. And we don't choose the president. We don't take orders from people who say they're the president and they're not. You know, it's all very intense. Yeah, and I think kind of watching the inauguration today also just put it in such you know, stark comparison for me, because you were kind of watching after the events wrapped up, right? There was, everyone was kind of mulling around. And by everyone, I mean, you know, the Obamas and the Clintons and all these, you know, and every speaker or every leader of Congress and the Bidens and, you know, Kamala Harris and et cetera, et cetera. And while I was watching it, you know, it didn't occur to me to be worried, until I kind of thought about the insurrection. Like my kind of go-to default reaction was not, you know, oh man, every single important government leader is in the same place right now. And I think part of that is because of the lead up to this event. But part of it is we have kind of become accustomed to having faith that 
these law enforcement groups of different stripes, whatever, that they will be able to keep these people safe, that there won't be a catastrophic event. And then things like, you know, the, uh, the secretary that they leave behind at the State of the Union, that becomes more of kind of like a quirky, like a, funny yeah, thing we exactly, do. Like a novelty, like, oh, exactly. this is that concept. Like, exactly. Like it's a, it's a, not a novelty, like a curiosity. Right. Like here's a, Here's a funny designated survivor thing we do, but, and not. But you don't think of it in a way of like you don't actually have to, you know, grapple with the agricultural secretary is going to be present. Yeah, There's I was going to say if, if it's really serious, we got to think again about always having like you know the head of HUD or like you right. know commerce. So let's get yeah. someone. Let's get someone top flight right. to take yeah, things totally. over. Right. And it's just the kind of thing where that just, you know, I've been trying to unpack why I had such a visceral emotional reaction to the Capitol. I mean, one that kind of left me very, very shaken and demoralized feeling for days afterwards. And I think part of it is that just there is a privilege we have as Americans where we we don't expect this kind of violence. In fact, we expect the opposite. We expect to have, you know, really tight security and they're going to be fine. It doesn't even have to cross your mind to worry about it. Um, and I think that's just part of why, you know, the, the Capitol breach was so horrifying because there's a part of you that just doesn't think that happens here, even given what you're saying, Josh, like the, the rise in extremism and the Michigan stuff. And that's all so true, but at least for me, it still hasn't penetrated that kind of baseline feeling of like, oh, it's going to be fine. I'm sure that they got this. Well, I, you know, I was, I was talking to a young person, uh, today, uh, in the lead up to the inauguration. And this person was worried that something bad would happen, that something bad would happen to Joe Biden, you know, when he's standing up there. Um, and I reassured this person, I said, you know, they, they've, A, there's always lots of security and B, the place is totally locked down. I explained that, you know, in any inauguration, uh, they do all sorts of line of sight analyses, you know, all the buildings where you can kind of peer down and there are Secret Service, federal troops on those things. You know, they've got to kind of all locked down. Um, and yet it's, it's a funny thing because we know from our history uh, with tragedies like the Kennedy assassination, you know, uh, more recently, uh, the, the uh, assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan, and, you know, he survived, but he was actually just very, um, what could have easily been a mortal injury. We know that, um, we know that freak things can happen. One determined crazy person can, can, or, you know, literally crazy or crazy in the, in, in the different sense of the word can pull something off. Right. And I think what was, I, I imagine this is some of what you're describing, Kate, is that what we saw in the Capitol building was not a case of like, you know, lone person gets lucky, someone determined, if they're not worried about what happens to them, all that kind of stuff. This was kind of like, wow, a bunch of, you know, armed, but not armed in any big way, just sort of like hoodlums and idiots rushed the place and, and like no one was paying, like, 
I'm not saying no one. I think we have learned over time that a lot of Capitol Police officers and D.C. police officers really did everything they could, but they were overwhelmed. And, and that's a different thing. You know, it is at a not at the individual level, but at the leadership level, like, man, you forgot to lock the door. Like, what the fuck? Like, and I thought I could reassure this young person, like, this is the United States of America. Like, one thing we do right, we got the security thing pretty down pat at every level. Like, we go attack countries, we do this, we do that. We can lock a place down. But this is a different thing, kind of like, what happened? Like, what happened there? That is, that is a different... That's a different shaking of confidence. Yeah, totally. I mean, I thought it was kind of striking when um, during the national anthem, when Lady Gaga gestured towards, you know, the flag is, was still there, kind of like, you know, nodding or referencing how close it did get a couple of weeks ago. And I think it's hard to it's hard to see any of the inauguration events, both the security, the lack of crowds. You can't see it without thinking about the events of two weeks ago and all of the yeah, sickening and, unsh- you know, unsettling feelings that we all, you know, felt when we were seeing that unfold. It's hard to hard to separate today from that. Well, not to mention that some of the architects of that were also in person, you know. Right. We had Ted Cruz was there, and me and Kevin McCarthy was there. It's Josh just, Hawley, I think, was there, yeah. Right, and I know that Republicans are kind of trying to lure us into this collective amnesia right now of pretending like, you know, the more uncouth parts of the Trump presidency didn't happen. But it is, it's weird to see Kevin McCarthy kind of like trailing along with Nancy Pelosi and the rest behind the Bidens and knowing he just voted against the Electoral College certification. His, um, he had some brief comments inside the Capitol, you know, welcoming uh, Biden and Harris. And I think some, he said something like, our job as leaders now is to kind of bind the wounds of the country. And it was kind of like, well, did you remember what just happened a few <laughs> weeks ago, late in the Shall night when you and a majority wins? of your Republican <laughs> colleagues voted to just toss out the election in two states? So Yeah. And I don't want to let Mitch McConnell off the hook here, because I, I do think this 11th hour McConnell PR campaign is absolute garbage. But he at least didn't didn't pull the quite level of that McCarthy did. Yeah, I don't it's to me it's not a matter of giving him credit, but he he there was a different line that he had mm-hmm. from a lot of other Republicans in Congress and it is worth noting that he drew that line before the insurrection happened. He did give that speech the morning yeah. of which was pretty pretty categorical. Not only we're not going down this path, but this is this is wrong. And it's not without consequence. It was a, it was it was a uh, I don't want to say prescient speech given. I mean, he had this line kind of like, I'm not going to pretend it is without cost to go through this charade. There's a cost. And, and of course, we would see the cost literally in like five or six hours later. Um, I, I would say, too, that there uh there were a number of times in the inaugural ceremony with speeches and 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 what have you that there was uh you know fairly explicit references to what happened and it was a funny thing because 
you know, I've seen a ton of these things and there's always references to we're so lucky, the peaceful transfer, all that kind of, you know, discussion of the American political tradition and democracy and whatever, but this was much more palpable. It wasn't kind of like, oh, remember back during the Civil War, remember President Washington. You remember kind of like, wow, just two weeks ago, a, a kind of a, 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 even mob kind of doesn't, I, when I hear people call it a mob, that undersells it to me. This is more like insurgents. Because mob is kind of like, oh, got everybody together, we drank a bit, and shit got weird. This wasn't that. This was a, a, a planned political act. It wasn't kind of like it got out of hand. It, it, that was exactly what they were trying to do. Um, and that just made comments that are you know that can that can be a bit trite in sort of american political pageantry seem pretty intense and pretty real yeah i wanted to um touch on the the covid memorial from last night a little bit too we had on the i guess reflecting pool in front of the washington monument kind of on the you know the overall national mall a a memorial for the lives lost to COVID-19. I think it was 400 lanterns representing 400,000 people who have lost their lives. And that happened, that grim milestone was reached on the last day of Donald Trump's presidency, I guess the last full day. Um, Josh, you had an interesting post last night, kind of a, partly dissecting some of the musical choices. And I'm curious to um, for you to share some of those thoughts on like the song Hallelujah. But also I'm just curious, Kate and Josh, you know, what you thought of that that moment, we haven't had a president. I mean, Trump certainly hasn't shown much empathy at all for people who have lost family members and loved ones to COVID. You know, I think he spent a lot of his time early on bragging that the death toll was, wasn't was higher or wasn't going to go above 100,000. And yet here we are four times well, that. Well, there was that thing where they, at, at that early point, they defined success as only 200,000. And they kind of ha- right. hung with that for a while. Like, hey, we killed it, you know. Exactly. Um, obviously, that's not how things went. But um, Josh, yeah, maybe just give us your impressions. I mean, I, I saw you had some kind of uh, poignant tweets about it, and and so did uh, so did Millette. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, um, if you could share some of those thoughts. You know, there's a number of things that have happened in the last uh, 24, 48 hours that you 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 don't quite you didn't quite know they were missing until they, until they showed up. And, uh, and you know, some of these things I would have said, Oh yeah, that we haven't had that and things are crazy and blah, 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 blah. But it was really very striking to me that we've been at this for a year. We've been at this for a year and, uh, this was the first time there's been any, memorial service or any commemorative morning, you know, and, uh, I mean, that's shocking. That's absolutely shocking. You know, we, we've, as a country, we've come up with all these ways to kind of, uh, 
push aside the magnitude of the loss of life, the people say, well, it's mainly old people who are, you know, at the end of their lives, you know, you kind of die five years sooner than you might have. And, or, uh, well, you know, it's only kind of just competing with cancer and, you know, uh, heart disease and, and all this kind of stuff. And like, okay, there's some truth to both of those, but like 400,000 people have died. You know, you go back to, there was, uh, there was that point in February where I think, I think it's Nancy Messenier, uh, this, this woman, high ranking official at the CDC. There was that comment she made. And it's one that, that, pissed Trump off and he kind of muzzled her, you know, ordered her to be muzzled after that, where she, uh, and again, this is before things spun out of control, where she had this comment, she said, we need to prepare for this to be really bad. And I remember, probably many of you remember hearing that, and I was thinking like, fuck, you know, I'm used to these public health types saying kind of like, okay, don't get, you know, don't freak out, blah, 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 blah. So this, this has been going on for all this time. And we just haven't had that. And like, how shocking that is. How shocking that is. And when I saw it, I was like, I was, um, I was shocked at how much I didn't quite realize this was missing. And that put in perspective to me the sort of the horror of Trump's presidency. Uh, so yeah, it was a very powerful moment and, and I think Joe Biden did something that was very Joe Biden and very kind of in, in character for him, which is he barely gave a speech. His speech was like a hundred words or something like that. Sort of, uh, you know, silence. Um, what was the key line? It was, um, in order to heal, we must remember. I think that was sort of the... Yeah, and he had this line that remembering is, is, is hard. Remembering mm-hmm. is painful. It's, it's, it can be... Um, it is often much easier to forget, to block things out, because remembering is very painful. Yeah, I, it also kind of just... For me, it's like, this is how Biden has positioned himself. I think it is how he truly is. But since he was a candidate, you know, I still remember during those debates, kind of his hallmark strategy was to deliver lines right into the camera to kind of capitalize on his best political talent, which, you know, is his empathy and his ability to kind of emotionally connect with people. Um, And especially in the ones where it was just him and Trump, that is something he would do over and over and over. And even though it was often kind of these, you know, I don't want to say canned, but rehearsed ways of capturing that emotion, you know, like he, he really likes kind of imagery, like the empty kitchen table or, you know, the missing spouse in the bed, stuff like that. But even after you'd heard him say it a few times, it always was powerful to me to have him kind of turn straight into the camera and say, give space for that morning, you know, and he's obviously a person who's so well acquainted with grief that he's a good messenger for that. But I think that yesterday, or was it yesterday? Yeah, the, the memorial was kind of the continuation of that, the idea of Joe Biden as, 
you know, consoler in chief of, as he's the man for the moment because he is so empathetic and so um, kind of used to loss and used to depending on his, you know, kind of incredible faith to, to get him past it and to keep believing that there's a reason for living and, and hoping and being optimistic. And I think all of that is kind of undergirded why his speech today, you know, his unity speech, his America's better than this speech didn't sound, you know, tacky or cliche or to me even kind of naive, which I know is a a criticism that's often lodged against him, you know, that he's kind of lives in this bygone days of bipartisanship that just don't exist anymore. But I think that's something that at least right now, you know, there will be so much time for the fights that are going to happen with Republican lawmakers in the future. But, you know, in this moment, there has been no time to grieve, you know, since that women's march. And so many people have been lost and hurt, not just from COVID, but from a whole myriad of things the Trump administration has done. So now we're in this position where it's just this weird kind of cathartic feeling of relief and joy um, and pain because, you know, remembering is painful. And now we have a president who's going to remember and going to give space to remember and memorialize the people who were lost. And that's been completely absent for the past four years. And I think once you let yourself start feeling that again, you really feel it all at once. I, I'm, I, one thing I, I am struck by, I will remember is that, and, and this is such a, a weird, uncanny thing that after, well, really starting from after the election, but certainly after the insurrection, one of the big things is what will he do to damage the country in two weeks? Like, and and that to me was one of, if it weren't for that question, I would have been more meh on, on impeachment. Like, like, yes, deserves to be impeached. Impeach him, great, but kind of like let's just get let's just get through this. Let's just get done, right? But that was such a it, it, at least for for from my perspective, such an alien thing. Where I mean, yes, presidents can do damage. You let this guy, things could go badly. But this was much more concrete. In two weeks, what possible things could he do to kill more people? To to do whatever is he gonna you know is he gonna do another insurrection uh and and um it's something i think we'll be you know struggling to make sense of for uh for quite a long time and uh it was even weird how it how it at least for the moment ended up in the in the sense of he really did kind of slink off in the final analysis. Now, you know, it's the same day, right? I mean, we have no idea what's what's coming. Uh, but he couldn't get anybody to show up for his little thing. I mean, there was like, what, like 10 people? I mean, it was really pretty, pretty pitiful. And uh, it was all kind of a bit low energy in the end. And it's it it's striking. I think, you know, there's a whole debate about, you know, the tech platforms and all this kind of stuff. But him losing his Twitter account turned out to be a big, big deal. 
not only did it did it muzzle him in a in a basic sense and and you know everybody was saying rightly like dude you have a press office you can call fox news whenever you want if you release a video everybody's going to show it because they should you're the president that we would need to know what you're thinking but those are not his that is not how he communicates with the kind of the impulsiveness and aggression and directness and taunting um and i I think it kind of undid him in a way, at least for the moment. It really kind of neutered him. Um, I mean, the uh, the White House schedules that would go out the night before for the last week or more kept saying, you know, President Trump will work extremely hard and have many meetings and many phone calls from early in the morning until late at night. And apparently that was Trump's own language being kind of... You can tell. So <laughs> yeah, you can tell. Beautiful. Um, but he really wasn't doing much. You're right. I mean, yeah. there's also I don't know. He was giving out a few medals of honor to, <laughs> to golfers and go- yeah, golfers, and then he at that thing where Belichick like snubbed him, yeah. which <laughs> like kind of like okay, who cares? But that was cl- he cared. He cared. Yeah. And there was um, uh, there was an article in Politico, long article in Politico uh, this morning, kind of like a TikTok of the final days, and I think it you know it's that. that it, ghost was in the title and it really kind of showed how he kind of um that he kind of within the white house kind of faded away a bit like he i mean literally everybody had moved out and and um he didn't you know he didn't go out with a bang he didn't even even the even the uh uh pardons outrageous as always just kind of you know Steve Bannon got indicted for like defrauding Trump Trumpers basically on like a fake wall, but he's off the hook now. But like he didn't he didn't pardon his family. I don't think he pardoned Rudy. G- I mean, he you know there there were kind of a lot a number of things he didn't do, and there's um, it it was it was just weird. In this article, it really did present him as deflating. Right. It's not just that he was the same old kind of Twitter Trump just without with the with the volume turned off in in the White House. He kind of fell apart a bit. And and there's been there have been a number of accounts of he was going to even this thing, which I think we're going to hear more about that supposedly a few members of Congress asked for pardons about the insurrection and also his family and all this kind of stuff. And I guess uh, Pat Cipollone. I think I think they, that's how they pronounce it, right? Chipalone, not with the e at the end. In any case, the the White House Counsel um, basically sat him down with some experts to like, dude, you do this. A, you're going to lose the Republican Senate, and they'll they may convict you, but also you can implicate yourself in the in in the insurrection as some you know as as getting bound up in that, and you could go to jail for it. And it clearly scared the shit out of him because he didn't do any of those pardons. Um, and uh, yeah, he did kind of fade out. And I think that's really important because this morning I talked to um, Jonathan Wheeler, who's a kind of an expert on authoritarianism. And I talked to him because today we published um, in Prime the you know the pre-write the the article ready to go out uh, in the case of Trump winning the November election that uh, Josh Kavinsky and I wrote. We published that today, and then 
Wheeler was one of the guys we talked to back then to kind of, you know, help our understanding of what could happen, you know, under four more years of someone with authoritarian tendencies. Um, and, you know, when I talked to him today, he said that it, it really matters that Trump isn't in that, doesn't have that bully pulpit anymore, you know, doesn't have, even not having his Twitter for those two weeks because the recipe for Trumpism is having a president who stokes this kind of uh, disinformation and hatred and scapegoating as part one. And then part two, the informa information ecosystem that allows these ideas, you know, that kind of like ricochets his ideas around and lets it grow and lets other people jump on and expand and feedback, you know, feedback loop back to him of new ideas. And that those are kind of the two parts of the equation you need to get what we've seen. And he, you know, like he said, having Trump not be president anymore, not to say he won't still have a loyal following, but he is, he used the word diminished. He is diminished, you know, he will never, you know, unless he becomes president, will not ever have that kind of stature. The, the gravitas that even a terrible president has, he just won't have that anymore. And that's important. Um, and, you know, there are still, you know, the, the disinformation ecosystem is alive and well. You could even say growing with, you know, Newsmax and OANN and Fox News now, I'm sure we'll get kind of like even more radical to make sure that their audience doesn't bleed off into those places. They, um, they even had a thing where they, they just yesterday purged a lot of their, you know, what counts as straight news in their, in their world. And, oh, and yeah. 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 Well, basically the guy who... The guy who runs their political desk, who not that not the person who actually made made the calls that got mm -hmm. the White House so upset with Arizona, but the one who oversees that part of the operation, who's actually like a total lunatic, like kind of a crazy person <laughs> who's who's who who when they have him on says all sorts of crazy stuff, but he got canned mm. um, as as sort of the fallout for that. Anyway, yeah. I interrupted you, Kate. Continue what you were. Yeah, what you were what you were saying. Well, yeah, I mean that makes sense, and it's just kind of, you know, what what he was also telling me is he and his um, his co-author wrote a book kind of predicting the rise of a Trump-like figure in two thousand and nine. So it's not like this authoritarian streak of the Republican Party is new. You know, it's been growing for a while, and the self-selection of people with these authoritarian instincts going into the Republican Party is decades in the making. But you know, not having the president be your figurehead, that is important, you know, and we're already kind of seeing fallout today. You know, I don't know if you guys saw kind of the reporters on the extremist beat have been highlighting what's been going on in the QAnon communities online. And it's just implosion. I mean, you've still got some, you know, lizard people, believer type people who are like, no, it's a hologram. Biden's not real. And you know what? Those people seem unreachable to me. But there are a big, you know, great chunk of people who are being like, well, we were lied to, or yeah, I guess that didn't I, work out. I'm yeah. always, I'm always struck by those, those responses because I think there is. A, I have always thought that a lot of the QAnon thing is not really that I believe you're a pedophile and all this kind of stuff. It is belief as aggression. You know, it's the reply guy on Twitter who's like, oh, yeah, I bet you're a pedophile and you and Hillary and the pizza plate and all this kind of stuff. It's 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 predation. It's not belief. Right. But you clearly have a significant number of people who kind of like, wait a second, this Q guy wasn't on the level. Biden's president. Oh, my God. And that is so kind of like 
th- that's so weird because you kind of see that um, some of these people uh, kind of like they thought this was true. It was like a factual misunderstanding, which for a lot of these people is not the case, right? It's 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 more, it's both more and 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 less. So those things are, you know, they're. I'm not sure I'd say reassuring. They're kind of sort of reassuring. But the other thing, and I'm sure this is what, uh, you know, what what you were discussing with him is that Trump is now a loser. And losers, Trumpism is about dominating people, hurting people. You know, in his language, winning, being a winner. And Trump's a loser. He lost. He tried to fight losing and he lost that. He, you know, we'll get into a debate about exactly was he trying to get them to storm, you know, did it get out of hand? But he even went that and he got shut down. All those people are being arrested now. And I think it's still an open question. Are we really going to hold those people to account? But so far, so good. Right. They're all getting you see every day now. Oh, this person got arrested. This dude in a funny hat. He's in in he's arrested now. Um, and if your ideology is winning. Losing is really deadly. It's really deadly, you know, and and uh, but that it, it obviously losing isn't great for any political leader, but if you are an Obama or a Biden or this kind of, you know, if, if you're losing isn't quite as devastating, if your ideology and your aims are beyond just dominating everybody. And so I think that is really going to be, that's going to be, a, I mean, obviously it's really going to suck if Trump comes back and wins, you know, wins and is president again in four years. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think I think there's all sorts of chance. I don't think that is the challenge that is actually going to come to pass, although although it could. Um, but it is really going to be important in the sort of the political fabric of this country to not let anyone forget not just how bad Trumpism was, but that he ran for reelection used all the, you know, abused all the powers of the presidency to try to sabotage the election, the postal service, the Ukraine, you know, he did everything, used everything in advance and he lost and he lost pretty decisively. And again, for an authoritarian who sells I'll dominate the people you hate and I'll hurt them for you. The fact that he was sent on his way and left as, you know, what I, as a guy in his early fifties was kind of taught as a, as a young man to call things we don't call anymore. (laughs) He slinked off and we need to remember that. Yeah. And I think that, facet of it is so intriguing to me because it I mean the past four years have shown that Trumpism is a political dud you know he won in 2016 
fine, sure. And then over the next four years proceeded to lose the White House, the Senate, and the House. That's huge. And it doesn't usually happen like that all at once, you know? It just, it really shows that the backlash to Trumpism is stronger than Trumpism itself. And that is really interesting to me because what do you do with this, this ideology that's kind of taken over the Republican Party when it is electorally unproductive, you know, when it doesn't win? What then? Because for the past four years, the kind of implicit deal that we know Republicans have been making is I will put up with X, Y, Z because I'm scared of Trump, because I'm scared of losing Trump supporters. You know, what, what now are you, you know, will they still act that way? Scared of these people, even when the support of these, you know, of Trump and this movement has not been enough to win any of these elections, like all right in a row, whether or not Trump is on the ticket. You know, I would just think that even though I've, you know, I've thought that there should be a reckoning in the Republican Party for ages. I don't I was of the mindset that why don't you just convict him first impeachment around and get rid of the problem. But now, four years later, there is just abundant proof that Trumpism does not tend to win elections. You know, he's one for four right now. So where does that leave you? I think to, you know, to that point, when you Uh say, you know, get rid of the problem, I think the point is, is that for a lot of Republicans, like, what's the problem? Yeah, that's true, too. You know, kind of like, I'm in office, we control the Senate, we got the presidency, yeah, we lost the House, but whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And that also shows, and the, the story, Kate, that you were on for us, those Georgia elections, you know, the thinnest of margins could have gone a different way, and yet those two races, those two wins were really critically important, not just for the next two years in which they're going to have a decisive importance, but just how the last two weeks have played out. Because we know that before that happened, Republicans were like, okay, Trump lost, but he kind of got it done for us, even though he lost. We held the Senate when we didn't expect to hold the Senate. We actually gained seats in the House. We won all sorts of down party, you know, uh, down ballot races. We actually kind of, you know, marked slightly improved our uh, numbers in, in, in you know, uh, some Hispanic populations, you know, very marginally with some African-American. Po- so kind of like, yeah, he lost, but kind of like, this is great. And, and you know, that was always a... They had Democrats kind of helping them by being all sad sack, like, oh, it's so blah, blah, you know, we thought we were going to like get 60 seats and, and Biden was going to get 500 electoral votes. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. Um, but those two seats were so important because because along with everything else, Republicans are saying this is not good. We don't control the House. We don't control the Senate. We don't control the presidency. Like, like this is not working out and, and it is, it's going to, it's going to be fascinating to see over time how people, uh, stitch together the history of how those things affected each other. I guarantee you what happens, uh, you know, in, in the, uh, approval, you know, the, uh, confirmation of the electoral college stuff, the insurrection, all, all these things. Republicans win those two seats. It all it all functions. I think I think I think differently. Mm-hmm. I think it's. Oh yeah, I was going to add. I think that's right, and I think also because if you'd have to, you know, the the presidential race, who who knew, right? It felt so 
and it's not like we had a better idea for the Georgia runoffs, but I just think most people were kind of like, yeah, Republicans are probably going to win. They usually win races like this. These two people are kind of cookie cutter Republican, you know, kind of wealthy, kind of in a cronyism, but you know, that's the Republican kind of well, status quo. And, and also the Democrats are like a, 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 a a Jewish guy who's like probably your age, David, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a younger, black guy actually, in Georgia. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, well, yeah. there you go. <laughs> uh, the kind of like, yeah, but it but it came together and it had a, and it was it turned out to be a big deal. Yeah, and they'll yeah. be sworn in in about a half hour. So yeah, right. All right. Well, I guess we gotta go. You gotta go On cover that, note, that. Exactly. Let me remind everybody: uh, Josh Marshall podcast brought to you guys by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Get twenty five percent off your first order at Grady's Cold Brew dot com with promo code TPM. All right. All right. Always nice to chat with you both. All right. Happy inauguration. Talk to you soon. Later. Yes. Bye. Bye. Bye.